I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Do you all remember the little engine that could? Of course we all do, but do you remember the story of the little engine that tried his best but couldn't? No, I don't remember that one either. Stick around for today's episode, and we will talk about why it may have been good if that story had made it to the children's books also. Friends and family, welcome back to Datages and the second half of our two-part episode on just because you can do something doesn't mean you can. If you're confused by this paradox or don't know what a paradox is, that means you missed our last episode. Hit pause, go back and check it out. I promise you'll get a lot more out of today's episode if you do. Today, we're going to expand upon the concepts we discussed in last week's episode and really shift our focus to some more practical applications around the notion of capability. We'll explore how you can recognize when you may be operating within your capabilities, but maybe exceeding your capacity, or maybe producing negative consequences that you are not willing to accept in the long term. First, let's go back to some previous concepts we've covered on datages related to capability. One, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. In one of the early episodes of Datages, we talked about the overdoing mindset and how we can maximize our potential by going further and doing more than others are willing to do and avoiding limiting fallacies. Number two, don't let what you can't do prevent you from doing what you can. We devoted an episode to aligning your mindset and your working environment to focus on achievement in the face of challenges and devoted the entire month of July to sharing some stories about individuals overcoming disabilities and companies with social impact business models devoted to supporting such individuals. Three, the distance between success and failure can be measured by the ability to create a sense of urgency. In another episode, we talked about how much of my success has been tied to the ability to create a sense of urgency and push for deadline-driven results. And then I gave you all actionable tips and tricks to do the same. Four, responsibility is a luxury and accountability is the price you pay for it. In this most recent episode, we focused on the responsible, accountable mindset and how cultivating this mindset for yourself and your team can lead to heightened productivity and greater success. If you missed any of these episodes and are looking for perspectives and advice regarding achievement, and maximizing your personal and organizational productivity, I encourage you to go back and check them out after listening to today's episode of Datages. If you were to take all of the advice, guidance, and concepts from all of these past episodes and combine them together, and if you were to then go out and take all the good advice and wisdom available from a lot smarter people than I, and if you were to combine all of that together, and implement it perfectly. Could you increase your productivity and capacity infinitely without any upper limit? Would there be a way to continue to grow your achievement without any ceiling on that growth? Philosophically and theoretically, I say yes. I believe the theoretical capability of an individual is truly infinite. But today, we're going to leave theoretical aside and talk about real life and discuss the difference between capability and capacity. How to recognize capacity limits for yourself 
and others, and how to navigate such limitations. Let's explore the distinction between capability and capacity. I'll lean on the work of award-winning keynote speaker, researcher, and business advisor, Dan Thurman. Dan wrote the following regarding capability and capacity. What you experience on a daily basis, flow or frustration, is a result of whether your capacity and your capability are in sync. Capability, the quality of being capable, physically or intellectually, ability, skill, talent, capacity, the ability to receive, hold, or absorb, the maximum amount that can be maintained. These words are often used interchangeably, but as you can see, there is an important distinction. I believe we can benefit from a quick reality check relative to our present capability and capacity. Dan is a pretty good source of advice on this topic. In addition to being a renowned speaker, he's also an acrobat, juggler, and an expert unicyclist. He has even been known to unicycle up mountains. This is obviously a guy who has trained and trained throughout a lifetime and refined a particular set of skills. So when he talks about running up against limitations, you and I should listen. If you want to learn more about Dan and his work, we'll put a link to his website and his blog in our bulletin board on datages.com. While many of our previous discussions here at Datages have been focused on the notion of acknowledging limitless capability and working to grow the capabilities of yourself and your team or your organization, I want to shift our focus to capacity. To use Dan Thurman's words, how much can we as human beings receive, hold, or absorb? What is the maximum amount that can be maintained? I have several key principles to share with you today to help you answer these questions for yourself. First and foremost, there is no right or wrong answer to questions of personal or organizational capacity. This is not a pass-fail quiz, so let's not beat ourselves up over trying to get the right answer. Understanding your capacity is about trial and error. We'll talk in a minute about how to read and react to key signs that you're operating above your capacity to your own detriment. For now, I just want you to embrace the notion that you are never going to get it exactly right. Think of this process like a swinging pendulum. While the swings of a pendulum start out huge, the force of gravity and air friction act on the pendulum to reduce those swings gradually. Your goal should be to utilize your evaluation and sound decision-making to reduce the swings of your capacity pendulum over time to find near-optimal alignment of your achievement level with your capacity level. Second, capacity is not static. Our individual limitations change every single day and across our lifetime. I love it when I attend a yoga class. When the class starts, the teacher reminds us to work to the best of our ability for today because the body we bring into the room today is different from the body we may have brought into the room in our last class. This is always such an important reminder for me. I'm so competitive with myself and so focused on constant improvement that I can find disappointment or frustration when I don't perform as well today as I did yesterday. For much of our lives, we grow our capacity through learning, doing, maturing, honing our skills, but none of that is a straight line. Growth occurs in spurts. There are ups and downs. And though we don't always want to acknowledge it, time catches up to all of us. There does come a day when growth ceases and then ultimately begins to recede. Third, overachieving is like a drug. And like any drug, it can be addictive. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm really pushing myself beyond my limits, there's a certain charge I get. It's like a hum. I can feel it in my body. And sometimes I think I, it even has a sound I hear in my head, like the world is a buzz around me. It's like I just got the perfect cup of coffee and I'm about five sips in. There's definitely a charge you get when you're in the zone. This can feel really great, but I only think we can operate at this level for a finite time period. In a corporate or team setting, I've started learning more about Scrum. Have you heard of Scrum? Though its origins can be traced to the rugby field, the word Scrum has taken on a new meaning and purpose in today's professional workforce. Today, Scrum serves as a framework for getting things done. The Scrum methodology complements what is referred to as the agile approach to project management, a means of breaking down large projects into more manageable tasks, which are completed in short iterations throughout the project lifecycle. One of the six principles in the Scrum methodology is timeboxing. In Scrum, tasks are completed in sprints with specific lengths of time assigned to each one. While this idea of sprints is helpful in increasing productivity, I think it is equally important to prevent burnout from overdoing any one activity. Applying a framework like Scrum and managing your team or just managing your own workload can help break the addictive cycle of constant overachieving by providing structured breaks. Our fourth principle for today, multitasking is a fallacy and provides a false promise of increased capacity. Here's a resume tip for you. Please don't put on your resume, I'm a great multitasker. This is such a meaningless buzzword. And as I'm about to explain, multitasking is not a good thing to put into practice. For expert advice on this topic, let's turn to Chad. No, I'm not talking in the third person about myself. I'm actually referring to the Association for Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, C-H-A-D-D. They study this topic carefully because there's a sense that people with ADHD might be better multitaskers. They have found this to be a fallacy. In their study of the subject, Chad cites a Stanford study that was performed to understand the impact of multitasking on performance. Travis Bradbury, who is a PhD in clinical and industrial organizational psychology, explained the results of the study in this way. The frequent multitaskers performed worse because they had more trouble organizing their thoughts and filtering out irrelevant information, and they were slower at switching from one task to another. He went on to say, multitasking reduces your efficiency and performance because your brain can only focus on one thing at a time. When you try to do two things at once, your brain lacks the capacity to perform both tasks successfully. So while multitasking may seem like a magic solution to accomplishing many things at once in our lives, it can reduce efficiency and heighten anxiety around performance of objectives. Instead of multitasking, Chad, and now I am talking about myself, recommends sequencing tasks and being sure to make decisive breaks between multiple tasks. And I'm going back to my yoga teachers on this one. Some of the most important moments in a yoga practice are the transitions between poses or asanas. It is how we move from asana to asana that establishes the strength of our practice. Principle number five, feedback is the breakfast of champions. We all deal with stress differently. It is important to know yourself and to know how stress manifests itself within your body. This internal feedback system is the best indicator you have to point out when things are out of balance or you are exceeding your personal capacity. I call this identifying your own canary in your own coal mine. 
Just as miners used to take canaries down to the mines with them to monitor oxygen levels, you need to be able to recognize when your own internal canary stops chirping happily and dies on you. This is critical to prevent further negative impacts. So what's your canary? Shortness of breath, increased heart rate, headaches, trouble sleeping, fatigue, physical pain. For me, when I get really stressed out or out of balance, I get a small twitch in my left eyelid. Sometimes I get that little twitch and I think to myself, I don't feel stressed right now. But if I acknowledge it and take a deeper inventory, sometimes I realize that I'm masking some form of stress or anxiety over something going on in my life. Sometimes indicators of exceeding your personal capacity are external too. Do you find yourself always rushing to get to appointments, struggling to get to work on time, forgetting things, making silly mistakes? These could be useful indicators as well. Unfortunately, there are also silent killers out there. Stress and anxiety can have impacts on your body that you may not be able to sense. I have one of these silent stress reactions as well. For me, it's my blood pressure. My body carries stress in my cardiovascular system. I tried to fight it for years through fine-tuning every little lifestyle factor I could adjust, but in the end, for Chad Hagel, stress plus genetics equals hypertension. On the positive side, when things are in balance, take a moment to sit back and observe how miraculously things tend to fall into place. Your plane is on time. Traffic isn't that bad on your way to your meeting. You felt great during your workout. These things aren't usually accident or coincidence. Psychologically, I believe that when we are operating in balance, we are more apt to recognize these little positive things that may already be happening around us that we simply missed when we are operating outside of our limits. Spiritually, I believe that when we are in balance, we emit positive energy into the universe and positive things come back to us in return. Principle six, observe the splash zone. Have you ever been to SeaWorld? When you are operating outside of your own capacity, you are like a giant orca, Shamu, leaping out of a massive tank of water. And when things start to go wrong, you come crashing back down into the water. No one within a 50-foot radius of you is going to stay dry. That's the splash zone. Look to the people around you as key indicators for when you get beyond capacity. In a professional setting, unhappy team members can be a warning sign. If you're pushing them too hard, obviously they are impacted. Look for them to become less engaged, less responsive, less proactive. These are good early indicators that they may be outside their capacity. If you are pushing people harder and getting less out of them, there is a problem. Coworkers and team members can also be affected, though, when you're pushing yourself too hard and taking too much upon yourself, even if you're not adding more work or more pressure upon them. I know that when I'm pushing myself beyond my limits, my engagement and relationships with my team suffer. I'm not the best version of myself, and it cuts me off from connections with them. As a result, they cannot benefit from my leadership, and their performance starts to suffer too. Others outside of your work environment can be in the splash zone too. Your friends, and particularly your immediate family, can suffer greatly when you push yourself beyond your capacity. This is true for even some of the highest capacity individuals around. Think of some of the greatest modern achievers like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. The family struggles for these men have been well documented. For me, I have talked before on datages about how all of the aspects of my life build upon one another, strengthening the pillars of my life rather than those different aspects of my life competing with one another. 
When I get totally out of balance and find myself in the wrong place or going in the wrong direction for any length of time, the castle of my life built upon all of those different pillars starts to look more like a house of cards threatening to come crashing down upon itself. Here's our seventh principle. Leave time for nothing. Wait, Chad, are you telling us not to leave time for anything? That doesn't sound right. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Quite the opposite. I'm saying to make time in your life for doing absolutely nothing sometimes. Downtime is a critical factor in leading a successful life. It sounds like another paradox, but it is true. Unless you're taking time to do nothing, you're probably not maximizing your potential. For more on this topic, let's get some help from Dr. Scott Bay, emeritus staff psychologist at the Cleveland Clinic. In an interview for the clinic's Health Essentials newsletter, Dr. Bay said, what we call downtime isn't complete downtime. That's because some regions of the brain get more active when you aren't focused on processing information. The best known of those brain areas is the default mode network, DMN. When we let our minds wander, it can be replenishing. To let your mind wander and activate the DMN, you need to do less, a lot less, like sit and stare into space less. If you have trouble sitting and staring, try a mindless task like vacuuming or weeding or nature walks. But whatever you do, pick something that doesn't require your brain to do much work, then let it meander. And in addition to doing nothing, you should also devote your time to useless things because useless things also serve a purpose. I know you're probably getting sick by now of these paradoxes, but this one is important. Remember a moment ago I said that I know I'm not the best version of myself when I'm working too hard and pushing myself beyond my limits? Well, I know I am a far better version of myself when I'm having fun. And there's an added bonus that I can be more present for the people in my life, including team members and family, if I'm devoting time to having fun along with them. As Jack Nicholson from The Shining would be quick to point out, all work and no play makes Chad a dull boy. On to principle eight. Expectations are a bitch. One of the most undermining forces in life is unmet expectations. We can place unrealistic expectations on ourselves, on our kids, on employees or team members, and even upon the systems in our lives. After running a business for 25 years, I always say that my four least favorite letters in the English language are HR and IT. In a business setting, one or the other is likely to let you down if you are too reliant upon it but don't be too quick to blame the people or the systems around you. Look to yourself first. Ask, am I overloading the resources I have around me and creating unrealistic, unachievable, or unsustainable expectations? Let me share a personal example unfolding in real time in my business. In a previous episode entitled The Distance Between Success and Failure, I talked about how much of my success has been tied to the ability to create a sense of urgency. But the counterpoint to this is that you cannot be pushing all the time. I have learned this particularly in the post-COVID world where the pace of achievement has slowed. Pushing to make things happen faster can undermine success altogether. All right, we're coming down to the end here. Principle number nine, don't make emotional decisions, but always recognize the impact of your emotions when making decisions. Decisions made based upon emotion are often rash and reactive. Logic and reason can be clouded, leading to poor choices. However, we have to acknowledge the existence of our emotions as human beings, validate them, and understand that they can have a powerful impact upon us. Ignoring your emotions altogether can be catastrophic. 
And the emotion I'm experiencing at this very moment is excitement. Why? Because I'm about to quote Bruce Lee for the first time on datages. Bruce Lee said this on the topic, emotion can be the enemy. If you give in to your emotion, you lose yourself. You must be at one with your emotions because the body always follows the mind. Principle 10. It is better to force your own failure than it is to cling to a tenuous opportunity for success. One of the worst ways you can operate outside of your capacity is by chasing after failing endeavors. There's an expression in business, throwing good money after bad, which means to keep spending money on a problem when it is a lost cause. I think it can be far more debilitating to throw good time after bad. Don't keep spending time on failed opportunities because you're both overextending yourself and wasting time that could have been used towards something far more productive. And a good idea to go along with this is to invest time and thought in creating exit strategies and landing pads for yourself. Exiting endeavors should be done in a thoughtful manner, and you should find something to invest your time in to replace the endeavor after you exit it. This will help you keep it moving, as my former business partner liked to say after we took an L. And here's the 11th and final principle we will cover for today. Don't see your limits as weakness. See your awareness of them as a tremendous strength. Knowing your limitations as an individual or an organization gives you tremendous competitive advantage over those who do not. And be discerning about your evaluation of your limitations. Recognize absolute versus relative limits. Those things that you just can't accomplish without unacceptable ramifications are absolute versus those that require some form of innovation, change of approach, or change of capacity in order to make them achievable without unacceptable impacts are relative. Prioritizing long-term wellness over short-term achievements can make you far more successful in the long run. And to put an end to our discussion of paradox and oxymoron, Here's a combination of two words that is not oxymoronic, it is simply moronic. Coping strategy. Coping is not a strategy. If you are just coping, I'm sure everything is fine until it's not. True wisdom lies in recognizing that you are coping and making changes so that you can be thriving instead. To bring today's episode to a close, I'm going to leave you with just a few spins on today's datage. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you can. Hopefully these help you hang on to the highlights of what we've covered today. Here we go. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you can do it within the time frame you have allotted. When time is your enemy, you will always lose the battle. Take time off the table. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should be the one doing it. Delegate or die. Find an organized way to take things off your own plate that should be done by others. Just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you can do it the way you are currently trying to do it. Try a different approach, experiment, and optimize. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you can keep it up forever. Give yourself a cutoff, check in with yourself, and know when enough is enough. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that now is the right time to do it. You can do everything you want in your life, just not all right now. Just because you can do something doesn't mean it's fair to those around you. Talk openly with your family about major decisions and commitments. Get your team on board at work. You will need their understanding and support. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you can do it alone. Look for help. Find someone you can trust and rely upon. Someone who truly has your back. And no. 
that as part of the Datages friends and family, that we always have your back. If you're struggling with the concepts we have covered today, or looking for some advice to help you along the way, I'd love to hear from you. You know where to find me, chad at datages.com, D-A-D-A-G-E-S. To wrap up, just to illustrate how truly bad working beyond your capacity can be, I'm going to leave you with a couple of truly disastrous dad jokes. What do you do when you see a load of overworked employees on a runaway bus? You give them a break. Did you hear that a group of deep sea explorers died after hours and hours of overworking? The pressure was just too much. Until next we meet, remember, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does. 